Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled, What to Do When You Hate Sex, originally produced and published by Monica Packer of the About Progress Podcast. Welcome, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. You are listening to About Progress. This is episode 288, What to Do When You Hate Sex with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Oh boy, is that episode title alone super loaded. Now, I definitely moved into marriage basically having little to no clue about intimacy, both the mechanics and the meaning. Now, what I do know now, almost 13 years in, is that intimacy is a vital part of strong relationships and that it takes ongoing work and communication. It takes persistence, which is why we are taking this topic on during our month's theme, Persevere. I know that many of my listeners can relate to this learning that I have had, and with that, also relate to having periods of time where intimacy is not something that is enjoyable, or even worse, something that you hate. Whether this is a season in your relationship that you are experiencing now, or a long-standing reaction to sex, I know that the best person to take on how to persist in this important relationship is Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Jennifer is a marriage and sex psychotherapist and coach, and she has seen it all. While this podcast is never designed to be exclusive, to go more in depth, we framed our discussion around sex within marriage. Today, she will truly give you a hug and kick in the pants about how to shift from victim to hero with your own relationship to intimacy and how with time and persistence, it can become a valued part of your married life. So I'm Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and I am a coach and educator and licensed therapist, and I do a lot of work around helping couples, and specifically LDS couples, have um, stronger, happier emotional and sexual relationships. And so I do a lot of online teaching and workshops um, to help people to reframe their understanding of sexuality and intimacy and emotional intimacy and create stronger relationships. Uh Uh-huh. I would say that's exactly what you do (laughs) Um, as someone who has benefited personally from that. And so many in my community, you are by far the most listened to guest and the most requested. And it's been a while and people have been asking where you are. So (laughs) I thought it was time to get you back on here. And we're going to talk about something that comes up a lot, especially for women. Um, and it's not something we've ever talked about and it's how people feel towards sex. And we're going to probably talk more specifically to women in this actual episode. Um, and I feel like it can kind of be two camps when it comes to feelings towards sex, like either people love it and it's a really important and cherished part of their lives or they hate it. Um, and along with that, a lot of strong feelings and, you know, this month we're, we're covering perseverance. And I thought that this could be another lens to that perseverance, this other Mm. piece of our lives that is easy to just keep hating or neglecting or shoving under a bed and maybe Mm -hmm. literally, I don't know. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to know what you wanted to say about it. So first, how often does this kind of disgust or anger or hatred towards sex Mm -hmm. come up with your clients? Mm -hmm. 
Well, there, you know, you, um, you're talking about it in terms of two different camps, and I know what you mean. And there probably are the, a lot of people that are sort of in between sure. those two experiences. But there certainly is a group of people that do have a lot of um, disgust or strong negative feelings towards sex, and they don't fully know why they do. And there are other people who tend to really enjoy it or like it or even be the higher desire person in their marriage and can't understand why anybody wouldn't like it. Um, yeah. And so I'm sure for people that have more of the disgust response or a kind of deep dislike of sex, um, that can be confusing and maybe even make them feel broken in some way. But because sex is such a kind of, especially for women, I think, a very core part of ourselves, that it can also be easy to have a strong negative response if things are off around your relationship to your sexuality or your partner. Hmm. And that's easy to overlook and to not want to look at it. Is that why that's it's right. just easier to... Yes. So I think exactly. So when someone is having a strong dislike or strong negative response, I think usually that, well, I shouldn't say usually, but like often people will handle it by just muscling through, you know, kind of stomaching it because they're trying to be a good partner or finding a way to shut the sexuality down in the marriage. But sometimes what because there's such a strong reaction to it, it gets harder to kind of settle enough to really look at why and what is the strong negative response and what's happening that I dislike this so much. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, just the persevering, if it's just sort of white knuckling or muscling through, I'm not sure that it necessarily is very helpful it depends on what the meaning is that you're bringing to the perseverance and what you're um, sorting through to have a different relationship to your sexuality. It all comes down to that. I mean, that's so much of what your work is about. Yeah. I attended your workshop years ago on the yeah. art of womanly desire. And, yeah. you know, I thought I was just going to learn about sex, but what I really learned was myself, my relationship to myself and how that greatly impacted my relationship yes. to sex. And I, I'm hearing you say that now. So, so what kind of mistakes are people making who yeah. find themselves indulging in this? I hate sex mentality yeah. instead yeah. of, you know, what mistakes do they make about working that? through it? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, one thing, um, somebody whose work I follow a lot is, is Dr. David Schnarch. And one of the things that he talks about that I think is really a foundational idea in response to your question is that we, uh, it matters more to us to belong to our sense of self than it matters to us to have sex. So as much as sex can be a source of pleasure, more important to us is belonging to our sense of self. Mm -hmm. And so for women in particular, we are often socialized in a way that we are taught that sex is something we do for a husband. Yes. Sex is something we provide, you know, your body, your sexuality, your virtue is something that you give as a gift to your marriage partner. Yeah. And therefore you give that gift and then they'll support you financially and emotionally. And, and it's a transactional model, even though we don't usually want to put that kind of explicit language to it. That is yeah. the idea that many of us grow up with. So if you don't think your sexuality belongs to you or your body belongs to you in a really fundamental way, 
then having sex is like the price you pay, Hmm. but not a function of sharing yourself or belonging to yourself and being with a spouse. It's a way of kind of um, servicing. And a lot of women also grow up with the idea that men have sexual needs. And if they don't get fulfilled, the men will go off and, you know, look at porn or, or worse. And, and so therefore you kind of have to put out to keep him faithful. Okay. Those are the kinds of meaning frames that are going to make you hate it <laughs> because you have to betray you your, in the beginning. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. So even if you can stomach it, you know, at first over time, if that meaning frame is the one that stays in place, you will like it less and less and less because you have a sense of self subjugation that is connected to having sex. And anytime you're going to subjugate yourself to be sexual, you're going to dislike it and want. And so then the way to belong to yourself is to disown sex, to distance yourself from sexuality. Also, if you don't feel connected to a sense of yourself and your own body and your sexuality that you're sharing with your spouse, but instead you're, you're, you're servicing, um, you're going to have a strong disgust response, meaning it's kind of a, an adaptive, the meaning is highly impacting how the body responds. It impacts how things feel. It impacts mm-hmm. how aroused you get. And so the body knows, right? And Mm. the body knows the meaning that your mind is operating in. And so if you're in a sense of obligation and I have to, and I resent and I don't want to, it's going to be not only undesirable, but it's, it's going to have, it it will feel aversive and it can even be painful because your body's not lubricating and doing the things that it would do if you were in more of a free flowing desire. And so, and then it can become a cycle where, okay, that was painful. That was the worst experience I've had. You know, my spouse seems happy. What's going on for him that that he's somehow okay with me being in this very negative experience. And so it can create an, an, an entrench of meaning that can be really hard to break out of because you almost can't see how you're in it and why you're in it because it's the world that you know, it's the water that you have been taught to swim in. And so there is this piece that you're talking about, Monica, which is the indulgent, which is, I, you know, I say it a little bit cautiously because um, a lot of times we're in meanings and we really cannot see them. And we don't even know that we're keeping them alive through our choices, but there can be a kind of indulgence where you don't, how to say, you can kind of, sometimes people can claim a moral high ground that sex is disgusting. You're the hedonistic one that wants it. Um, I am so good because I put up with it and I, you know, service you, Hmm. but it's a way of kind of claiming a kind of righteousness or superiority while you're not really, while you're doing something unkind and indecent in the marriage and not really dealing with your participation in a meaning that is hard on and bad for both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, one bit of positive news I see in this actually aligns with it. You talk about a lot about having integrity to yes. ourselves. So for those who are listening and they have those feelings towards mm-hmm. sex, maybe the anger, the dislike, the disgust, even mm-hmm. I can see this also as 
a pathway to having more integrity. If you're willing to look at what is this trying to tell me? Exactly. Right. Am I, am I in a mind, am I participating in a framing that is harming us both and how can what can I do on my side to fix that? Yes. Because I think, you know, a lot of times we come to these things with saying I'm broken. I can't tell you how many clients have said that to me. I'm broken. I'm broken. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and really, um, and again, this is another idea that I read in one of Sharsh's books, which is nothing's going wrong. Okay. That is to say, given the meaning you're operating in or what's happening in your marriage, the response you're having fits perfectly. Okay, so that is to say it's an exposure of something else. And so if we just pathologize it and feel terrible or resent our spouse or whatever it is, it kind of just locks the meaning in place and puts it underground so we can't get at it. But what any good therapy or good coaching does is help you kind of go in and say, well, why do you hate it? Let's, let's start with that. What's going on within you? within your relationship, within your relationship to your body, uh, within your relationship to pleasure. Like those are all kind of potent uh, avenues for uncovering operating beliefs that would make the response you're having make perfect sense. Because then you're more able to get in there and think about, okay, what is going on and is there another possibility for me here in how i relate to this question or to my own self or to my own body and you know uh, um some people i'll start with this version some people actually like sex but they don't like sex with their spouse And that is to say, they maybe know about their own capacity for pleasure they may actually want to have good sex but somehow the the dynamic between them is making that not work. And that can be because they have a really entitled spouse. It could be they have a spouse that's too apologetic for his sexuality and too careful and too uncertain and insecure. And so it can make it like that they're feeling like they have to carry the sexuality and they can barely carry their own, much less his. And so it makes it just burdensome and not fun. Um, It could be that there's a lot of resentments or anger that's going on in the marriage. And so it's infecting, you know, uh, women, I think there's plenty of research on this idea that women tend to be pickier about the sex they're having. Yeah. And there's a lot of biological reasons why you would want to be picky as a woman about who you reproduce with, right? And who you open your body up to. And so women like sex and they have a lot of sexual capacity, but they can certainly, they're, they're, the canary in the coal mine is often sexual desire. And so a lot of times if there's things going on in the marriage that are making them frustrated or unhappy, sexual desire often can take the, take the hit. And so, you know, a lot of times the desire is getting suppressed by issues that are happening either in the sexual dynamic or in the marriage that need to be addressed. And so the, the issue is not, oh, you should just want it. The issue is if I'm a woman who really is standing up for a good marriage and a good sexual relationship, what do I need to address and deal with directly so that we can keep having good sex (laughs) or so that we can begin to have good sex? Um, So there's, so there's those meanings. And a lot of my courses, you know, I'm 
helping people to kind of uncover like what's happening that this isn't working and what's happening in the couple that desire is low um, or that there's a big discrepancy in desire. And then, or there's an issue. So there's an issue in the relationship and, or there can be an issue in one's relationship to one's own body, Mm. to one's own sexuality, to one's pleasure. And especially you know, I'm speaking mostly to women right now, but this can certainly happen for men. But if you grow up in a family where there's a lot of ambivalence or anxiety about pleasure or the body or sexuality, you know, that it can be very hard to be open to and comfortable with your own pleasure, your own eroticism, your sexuality, your embodiment, your sensual nature that which we all have we are from birth sensual creatures but a lot of us feel like that's a design flaw like something's wrong as opposed to that's what it is to be human and Mm -hmm. and so how much can we really embrace that core sensuality and how much do we shame it and try to get away from it because in a lot of christian interpretations there's this fear that our sensuality is Satan's pathway. It's going to bring us down into debauchery and, and a kind of indulgence rather than, no, the sensuality is just a part of the human experience. And it's a way of communicating potentially love and desire. You think about with a baby, the first language is the language of the body and the end of sensuality. Mm-hmm. That's how you communicate love and affection and care and so you know but a lot of us are afraid of it after we get out of that sort of very early toddlerhood that now we need to be covered up and distanced from and managing those feelings and while of course you know we must grow into a more adult relationship to our sexuality and some impulse control and all of that of course we can't mm. be you know yes. running around taking our clothes off like we do when we're one but you know <laughs> but <laughs> but but sometimes we go overkill and really kind of suppress the language of the body and the sensuality of the body but then really limit our ability to be at peaceful in a peaceful relationship with ourselves so it sounds like this is a super simple problem to fix. I mean, just really easy. Um, and that's a joke if people can't yeah. read my sarcasm there. But I mean, this is clearly a very multi-dimensional uh, yes. problem to be having and to go about fixing it. Yes. But let's say there is someone who is willing to try. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't want to keep up the status quo anymore. And they also yeah. don't want to align themselves with some of the culture we can have too around sex, like where women just hate it and accept it and complain about it and joke about it. And it's Mm -hmm. status quo. So let's talk Mm -hmm. to her. She's ready to start. What, what can she actually do about this? Where should she start? Well, I know I sound very self-promoting right now, but (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I would, I do think the art of desire course is a very valuable kind of structure for helping you start to look at the meanings that you have inherited that have impact how you're in relationship to your own body, to your own desires, to your own sense of self. Because, you know, as I talked about, this needing to belong to ourselves is more important than our sexuality, that we really, this is about repairing one's relationship to oneself and how one brings oneself into one's relationship because they're very linked. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but 
let me see if I can kind of name some of that independent of the course is just, you know, um, I think if it were in me and I were just trying to unpack it, I would start with why do I hate it? What is it that I hate about it? What are some of the meanings that are operating in me rightly or wrongly, like whether or not it's the best meaning or the only meaning, what is the meaning I give to being sexual? Hmm. What's the meaning I give to when my spouse reaches out and touches me? What's the meaning that is going on in my mind? Oh, I have to do this. Oh, great. He's giving me a signal. You know, now I have to sacrifice hmm. the next half hour of my sleep, you know? Yes. <laughs> so so just, it, just getting those things on paper can okay. help for just starting to look at I have this very much in an obligation to him frame, for example, mm -hmm. or another meaning might be, I don't feel that this person loves me. So I may like sex and I may like, I may be comfortable with my sexuality, but I don't feel that this person loves and respects me. And we've kind of shaped it into kind of how sex serves him. So it's like st just starting with what's happening and what are the meanings? Because if you can just begin to get some of that down, you can start looking at what is sometimes off operating implicitly because the more explicit it is, the more you can really think about, I don't want to be in a sexual relationship that's about accommodating a husband. Now, of course, in the course, I, I, I try to make all this much more explicit so people can sure. kind of think more about, okay, yeah, I've been creating a relationship that revolves around my husband and then resenting him for it, but I've been participating in it more than I realized. Got it. Because then once you can see your own participation in a meaning, which we do unwittingly because we, mm -hmm. we borrow meanings and then we replicate them without even knowing it then you start being able to make different decisions and create different meanings through your choices that okay. then your body has a different response to. So that seems both hope giving, but also still abstract because it's so, mm. it's going to be so individualized. And, and That's I, right. again, I know this is something that you do within your courses and, and the coaching as well of helping them rewire this meaning. That's right. Um, and so while we probably can't get into that as much because we probably need another hour, mm -hmm. um, I would just love or to hear five or five <laughs> <laughs> or like years of yeah. coaching and counseling. Uh -huh. Okay. Is this possible? Oh, you know, yeah. That's what I think people really want to get from this. Like, can I go from this being one of the worst things in my life that I hate and is bringing me down to being yes. something that is a wonderful part? I mean, it's absolutely possible, which is not saying that it's easy or, you know, four simple steps. And, uh, but on the other hand, I have seen people shift in dramatic ways when they start to see something they couldn't see before and can, and now are able to say, I'm not going to do that that way anymore. And they relate to it differently and the whole meaning changes. So this is just like a completely wow. unrelated example, but I think it's really apt. Okay. Like when I was so I grew up in a large family and we all had to earn our own money for college. And so I was still in high school, but my brother had started an exterior painting business to earn money. Right. Yeah. So he was hiring me. And so I was working for him and I hated it because it was all in the frame of I'm working for my brother, getting paid whatever dollars an hour. 
And so I was, and I wasn't even trying to be slow. I wasn't trying to be difficult. I was trying to be a good employee, but I knew I was not a very good employee. I painted slowly. I was constantly looking for when lunch was going to be like, when were we leaving? And he was always doing everything because he's trying to get it all done. And, and I was always just like the dead weight in the working relationship. <laughs> um, so then, then the next year I decided now I was in college and I needed to, to figure out how to make more money to be able to pay for things. And so I started my own interior painting company and I hired my younger sister who was in high school. Well, guess who was the dead weight and who was, <laughs> okay. So yeah. now it's my thing. And I'm, and, and so I'm belonging to myself in my choices. I'm owning my decisions. I am taking deep responsibility for the success of this painting project. And so then I'm like, come on, Jane, let's go, you know, get focused. Like, <laughs> and, and I'm painting more quickly and more efficiently and more effectively. And I remember just being really struck by like when I was in that other position that he's in charge and I'm, it, it's like I couldn't even get my mind and body to work faster. Where when I really took ownership and it was an expression of me, like a whole different set of resources came to bear. Yeah. And, you know, if you're approaching your sexuality, like you're the employee, <laughs> you're the one who's kind of like in response to the other, you don't even know about resources that you have because the meaning frame is precluding you from accessing them. Hmm. So once you shift meaning frames, and this is so much what my workshops are about, is really helping people see the paradigm they're operating in and break it down. And it's uncomfortable because you feel like you're losing a hold of something that you have, that's been anchoring for you, even if limiting. And then I help people really step into a different meaning frame. And then all kinds of different possibilities open up in that new meaning frame that they didn't even know they had. They didn't know they had these resources. They didn't know their body could actually respond because now they're in a different meaning. Wow. And so it's like, um, so sometimes that process of letting go of old meanings and stepping into new ones is relatively easy. And sometimes it's harder based on if there is more trauma, if there's more um, how longstanding and entrenched a particular meaning frame has been. So I don't mean to say it's all the same for everyone, but our minds are made to be adaptive, to wow. evolve, to change, to learn, to grow. We're wired up to do it. And, you know, it's easy to fall into habits, you know, and yeah. this is so much of the work that you do, Monica, but like, it's easy yeah. to fall into habits of being easy to fall into, you know, these processes that are familiar. And so it is about shifting habits of thinking and habits of being, uh, but it's that persistence, that perseverance. Once you know what's the right muscle to be working, then you keep working it and you get stronger and stronger and stronger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I feel like many of the women listening are just hoping they can be that dramatic overnight. Like once they shift mm. the meaning, things just become clear and mm. it's wonderful that that can happen. Mm. And for those who are on the perseverance track, who might, it might take longer. Um, I was wondering if you could just indulge us in another kind of example or someone that sure. you've worked with, of course, we're not using their names, but like sure. fake names, but tell, give us an example of that. Sure. Kind of experience. Well, there's all, you know, there can be people that are extremely reactive to their own sexuality. Um, so I'm thinking about this person, I'm trying to remember where it started with her, but, you know, just to, um, for example, so she got married, she married a really good guy. 
but she couldn't achieve sexual intercourse because her body was in so much reaction. She Sexuality had been shamed for so long in her family of origin. There hadn't been overt abuse, but there was a lot of psychological pressure to disown sexuality. Mm. And so she loved her husband. She wanted a good relationship, but she was in so much reactivity. Um, and so she just started by trying to just look at her own genitalia, which was extremely hard for her to do at first. And so she just did it little by little, progressively got more able. It's like, you know, there's anxiety and avoidance. And, you know, when we get anxious about things, there's a lot of pressure on the mind to step away from the thing that creates the anxiety. But if we do that, then it, our world becomes smaller, even if immediately less anxious. And so the path of development is stepping in a productive way towards the things that make us anxious until our mind can habituate to the fact that everything's okay, we're going to be all right, right? So, you know, she, this particular client just kept exposing herself to her own sexuality and breathing through it and getting more and more and more comfortable. Then she started going to a um, pelvic floor physical therapist who started working with her in um, relaxing the muscles of her vagina and learning to relax her body and just working little by little by little by little until she could, the, until the muscles of her vagina were at a normal level of tension and which took a lot of time and persistence. Yeah. But she literally like a couple years into her marriage then had intercourse for the first time. Wow. And, 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 and that that was a meaningful hmm. process for her of like opening up to her own sexuality. And she actually wasn't a woman who didn't have some history and even awareness of her capacity for orgasm and eroticism, but she had sort of contained it all and, and, and sort of buried it. And then kind of once she started opening up her body and her mind and, and she could see that she could belong to herself in a deeper way and be sexual, then she started allowing more of her eroticism to come into her mind and body. And in that same thing of just helping herself see that not only was she able to hang on to her sense of self, but actually feel more deeply anchored to herself. So it wasn't about, oh, I need to do this for my husband. She was doing this for her marriage, for sure, mm -hmm. but she was doing this for her relationship, her impaired relationship to herself. Mm -hmm. And so it's a kind of persistence that now she's in a meaningful sexual relationship. And, and you know, that really was going from a place of severe repression into a real marriage. I feel like I want to give her a little slow clap on this side of the mic, but I mean, <laughs> that perseverance yeah. is, it's very inspiring. Um, yeah. I, I'm grateful you would share that more um, specific example. I think it just really helps translate this. And I know you shared examples in your office hours for your courses too, of people who have been married for decades, who yeah. still have been able to repair their relationship, their sexual relationship yeah. on, on for themselves and with each other. That is really inspiring to me. Um, and I'm so yeah. grateful for your work and that you are there for people to, to work through this and, and, and long-term basis and, and to inspire us to belong to ourselves. So we can belong to others. That's one of the biggest things I've learned from you too, especially today. Um, I'm sure many people will want to work with you somehow or take your courses. It's a little different mm -hmm. right now. Usually you do a lot of live workshops, but yeah. so tell us um, where they can yeah. go. 
Sure. Well, we have just released a new website, so it's still all the same things that I offer, but it's all looks nicer and that's exciting. exciting. We've been working on it for a while. Yeah. Um, but uh, so a couple things. One is that um, after a lot of requests, I have finally developed or am still in the process of developing, but um, to be offering this fall um, a course for men um, and integrating their sexuality because men have much more anxiety about sexuality than often meets the eye. Sometimes it gets I expressed bet. more as entitlement or neediness, hmm. but it's still a conflicted relationship to their sexuality. Um, and so it's about helping men to become more uh, have more integrity in their relationship to their sexuality and to become more desirable actually and more of a source of strength in their marital relationship um, and more deeply in, integrated with their sexuality. Um, so I'll be offering that in the fall. I think okay. both of those courses may well be full but on the website you can um, put your email address in so you can be notified of when that course will be available again in the winter. And so you can sign up and we're doing it through zoom. Um, and I just so want to state there or clarify yeah. it's, it's a, yeah. you're saying live because oh yes you're doing things live it's not just that's like right a, yes a thanks video. for clarifying yes exactly because most of my courses are recorded and then we have an office hours element where you can ask me questions but this will be where i'm actually like on a zoom call presenting the material you can raise your hand and ask questions so live through zoom got it <laughs> yeah exactly right nothing in actual in person now and then the other thing i'm going to be doing this fall and the specifics will be coming um so if you're interested certainly sign up for the email list, which is I'm going to be doing the Art of Desire course that normally we do in workshops and in person uh, in a kind of hybrid of consuming course content and then interfacing with me with a small group of women so I can give you more individual coaching while you're listening to me interface with some other women around specific questions. And so kind of a less expensive way to get some coaching and instruction together. So I'll be Incredible. doing that as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know, you know, that I can't recommend you enough. And uh, again, we're just really, really grateful that you have been on our show and, and we're willing to be so again. So I'm sure we'll see you again soon. But thank you very much, Jennifer. Thank you, Monica. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here. 